Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Dog Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com. Whether you need photography, videography, drone photography, web design, podcast support, or technical support, EliasRoushMedia.com has you covered. Today we are discussing Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 10, The Children, directed by Alex Graves. Alex Graves has directed some of my favorite Game of Thrones episodes. Starting in season three, he he directed, and now his watch has ended, episode four, and episode five, Kiss by Fire. And he also directed The Lion in the Rose in season four, Breaker of Chains, The Mountain and the Viper, and The Children, which is the episode we are discussing today. So, rewatching season four, and I think I've come to the conclusion that season four is undoubtedly my favorite season of Game of Thrones thus far. I, on the rewatch, I've uh, right now I've seen up to uh, I think seven seasons so far of Game of Thrones, and uh, so. I, I believe that season four is the culmination of everything that has been stewing in the last three seasons coming together, culminating into this big explosion of almost every episode seeming as if it could be the final episode uh, series um, finale. I mean, it is amazing, the uh, the storytelling technique and just everything that goes into the production behind Game of Thrones throughout season four. I think season, um, well, you know, rewinding back, season one is much, you know, it's it's the world building. Season two is a little bit more in depth of the political upheaval. Season three is, you know, uh, each which with each season, all of the battles have gotten more intense. All of the political um, um, under the seediness and the underbelly of the political upheaval has been even worse. Each season, you. Um, get different types of physical and mental torture throughout each season that kind of progress further. And season four is when it all culminates to just this big explosion of craziness happening at each episode. So like I said in the previous recaps, this is going to be strictly season four, um, uh, one through four, and we will discuss, um, I'll give everyone a um, notification before we hop into the spoiler section, which we will talk about seasons um, five and up. So right now, let's talk about the final episode, the children of um, Game of Thrones, uh, uh, season season four, episode 10. Um, the children, here is the synopsis. John makes an important decision. Daenerys experiences new consequences. Brienne and Podrick have an unexpected encounter. Bran achieves a goal, while Tyrion makes an important discovery. This is a little bit vague, but we all know exactly what happened. We know um, from John's important decision, he was going to um, meet with Mance Raider and quote-unquote talk peace, but he was really going in to take him out. Thankfully, um... I guess I guess you could say thankfully Stannis came in and took um took control of the situation and uh 
saved the people at the wall. Because of all this, we let's rewind a little bit, but there is an amazing battle at the beginning of season 10, which is uh, a follow-up of the Watchers at the, of the wall. Watchers, what is it? The Watchers on the wall. And um, the Watchers on the wall are the culmination of the Wildlings coming to fight um, south of the wall because they've you know they've been excluded this entire time and everyone's been talking about it throughout the seven kingdoms of how you know the wildlings are inexperienced and pretty much the only thing they have is numbers but i mean from the watchers on the wall it is an amazing episode from a technical standpoint and watching just a a, a massive fucking battle happen but for, like technically it's it's amazing and it it's Honestly, it feeds in from episode 9 to 10 because the battle is not quite over at the end of episode 9. We do get the majority of, you know, the battle at Castle Black and um, John having to hold, you know, hold everyone down for, uh, um, you know, relying on someone at the uh, as a knight's commander, even though he's, he's, he's not. He's just a... Uh, uh, regular crow and so it's uh it, it's it's an amazing battle i i don't really know much much more to say than that it's uh technically well done from the wide scale point you know you can see everything that's happening all these different types of technical ways that people are going and dying and um fighting and there's got fucking giants and mammoths and shit like that and um then we have like the small scale fighting, which is with you know knives and arrows and all this like one on one battle combat, and all of it technically is done amazingly well. It's 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 hard to find a real uh, you know weak spot in what's going on, and the majority of the fighters that are you know we we as the audience give a shit about the people that are actually in the battle, and you understand why these people are battling. It's not just um, you know. A battle for for whatever reason, um, and I think this this battle probably means more to us than most of. Uh, I mean, Blackwater was obviously a big one. If um, events had gone the other way, then Cersei would have you know killed I think Tommen at the time. Um, but the Lannisters end up winning, so it's uh, <clears throat> it's interesting to see how the different battles are unfolded and they um, they're shown on screen. Now, there's so many uh, just excellent scenes that happen throughout this season four. It's it's hard to cover them all, um, and you know go into <clears throat> super super in depth detail about everything. But um, this honestly was probably the, the one of my top um, top seasons of television. I would say that just from all aspects, they nail the fuck out of it. Now, um, let's see. Let's rewind a little bit. I know we were talking about the Watchers on the Wall, but let's rewind a little bit to the beginning of Season 4. We, we see the the breaking down of Ned Stark's massive sword, and he breaks uh, Tywin breaks it down into two swords, which is Jamie's new sword and... Uh, Joffrey's new sword, and I, I I remember Joffrey's swords being named Widow's Whale or whatever, and I don't remember Jamie's, but it's unimportant. Um, beautifully shot and, and an excellent way to open up the season. 
And uh, following that episode, the next episode is when Joffrey actually goes down. And there are so many scenes of him being a little shit before he goes down. And honestly, when we lose Joffrey and when we lose Tyr- uh, Tywin um, and ep- in episode 10, I feel like we are losing such power, um, uh, I don't know, powerful figures in the Game of Thrones pantheon. And when we lose these massive figures, it, it changes the landscape of what the Game of Thrones world is every time. And for better or for worse, whether we like the characters or not, these characters really shape the world. And I think when we lose it, kind of like how Derek Bond, Don Darian or whatever his name is, comes back every time, I feel like the show loses a little something when we lose these excellent villains. And that's the only thing I would say about season four is if we knew that there was only a couple episodes after season four, then then I think it would probably be one of the highest seasons up there. But um, the, the the culmination of having all of these amazing villains being taken out at the end of season four leaves me in a tad bit of a skeptical place of, you know, how can you top this? Can season four be topped uh, after the shit, the three seasons of shit that we've had to deal with, Joffrey, and then Tywin right behind him. And we're getting all this um, in between, you know, obviously, you know, the, the Westeros, you know, caving in on itself. So naturally, all these other plot lines are going to, you know, come to fruition as well. You're going to have, you know, the White Walkers coming down. Um, you have Bran going north of the Wall. You have um, Theon being tortured by Ramsay the majority of third season. And then I think fourth was it fourth fourth season that he's there's not quite as much theon torture in fourth season we see yara really trying to save him and how that ends up being kind of uh uh a big failure um i did forget about that but i mean the uh theon is tortured from ramsey from so many different perspectives from being just psychologically tortured and um just making him wish that he want that he's going to have to stay otherwise something even worse is going to happen to him so um Alfie Allen and um I forgot what's his face that plays um Ramsey Bolton uh, both of them excellent actors I'm I do feel the um the tonal shift that the directors took when they said I think they got a lot of backlash of how much Theon torture is necessary but um I guess they're just trying to stay true to the books. Um, let's see. Hmm. The Mountain and the Viper. It's hard to talk about ep- uh, ep- season four without The Mountain and the Viper and just the whole Oberyn Martell um, aspect and perspective, family aspect of it all. Um, the Mountain and the Viper, from a technical perspective, amazing fight. Rewatching it, it's like, dude, he is gloating way too much. Excuse me, I need to get my little water. Um, he, um, Oberyn Martell, pretty much had it in the bag. If you go back and watch it, it was the old, it was the last little bit of him gloating around the mountain and getting picked up and scrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
crushed like a damn grape. Um, I, I was uh, I was excited to watch. I'm, I'm having Kelly watch this as well, so I'm I'm getting to see all of her reactions for the first time, including the red wedding, including the mountain and the viper, and uh, all of these uh, big big uh, parts of the, the Game of Thrones pantheon that I remember watching for the first time. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's another one. There definitely is this massive aspect of, um, let me think. Mm, I, actually, we're going to talk about that in the spoiler section. Um, let me see what else we got for non-spoiler section. Um, we get a lot more of... Uh, I guess the the White Walkers and in magic beyond the wall. We see giants. We see um, we see the children, which I believe are the children of the forests, which are from the book. And I don't think we can talk too much about that without going into spoilers. Um, episode seven. We're kind of jumping all over the place for this uh, recap. I'm sorry, but. We, we we watched it so fast it kind of just is a jumble in my head at the moment. But episode seven, we we uh, lost Sansa's aunt, uh, um, crazy. Um, what's what's her name? Uh, Lysa Air Lysa from the Eyrie, and uh, I completely forgot how crazy her fucking aunt was. I mean, she literally was about to throw Aunt uh, Lysa, uh, sorry, Sansa out the damn moon door. And, uh, but it's kind of more of a side quest, but it does show how, um, you know, Littlefinger is becoming more intertwined by Sansa and how Sansa is becoming, um, much more politically savvy when it comes to using her, um, kind of this like femme fatale kind of motive, you know, using her quote unquote sex appeal, even though she's way too damn young for Littlefinger. And I'm pretty sure like Sansa's supposed to be like maybe eighteen, if that, by by this time. I don't think she's even that old. So it's it's a little bit nasty how they're <laughs> they're um portraying Sansa at this age in this um in the world. But I you know whatever, it's the world, whatever, you know. Um The Hound, I one thing I had heard about uh some good character moments, some good uh, characters that grow throughout this. And the Hound is a, is a great character. He um, is traveling with Arya the majority of season four. And he's eventually taken out by Brienne of Tarth, of all people, in an amazing battle that, honestly, they beat the shit out of each other. I was not expecting to rewatch and say, damn, that's a great battle. But yeah, I'd say it was a great battle, if not better than the Mountain and the Viper. The, this is the Brienne and the Hound. I mean, if they would have had the, the, that title, then they would have, you know, if they had cool names and they would have had some pretty cool uh, uh, recognition. I feel like this fight is always overlooked because they don't have... Tywin and Tyrion and all these other crazy things to happen and you know no one's head gets exploded at the end um but yeah so this was a crazy fucking battle between Bran and um the Hound the interaction even all of the writing in the first four seasons I have zero problems with with the exception of maybe you know 
um, a line of dialogue, uh, you know, here or there. But honestly, it's so good. It always feels like they're, you know, sparring with uh, words, verbally sparring. And it, it's a... Uh, it's always amazing to you know to listen to that kind of uh, dialogue. It never feels like it's half-assed, and uh, that, that's one thing about the first four seasons of Game of Thrones is that I don't feel like any of the episode time is really wasted. I don't feel like I don't need to be watching this for any reason. Like like oh, this scene doesn't matter. I feel like almost every scene within episode um, season four. Um, really serves a purpose and if it's not if it doesn't serve a purpose then it's at least uh it's at least got high production value and uh, executed at a really high level um so for daenerys she is let me see um Daenerys is in Marine, and people have a lot of uh, gripes about Marine. I can I can kind of tell. At some point, you're like, okay, this storyline starting to feel slightly repeated when it comes to you know breaking breaker of chains. How many you know cities can she unlock? How many times can they uh, keep Daenerys away from the mainland of Westeros? And uh, this is where I think it starts to, you know, become a little bit more obvious of uh, a, a time that she's dealing with small things. She's dealing, she's dealing with uh, uh, slave masters and, you know, political stuff that is happening within her own um, towns and places she's freed up. It's stuff that I think she could have uh, created, like a small council, which she to take care of, which she sort of already does have, but it's just not exactly... Um, you know, Sir Barristan and Mormont, Mormont's gone by the end of, uh, end of season four. Um, let me see what else. We get dark haired Dario in this at the beginning. I think it's at beginning of season four. Uh, I was always preferential to lights, light hair, um, Dario versus dark-haired Dario just strictly because the guy that plays the original Dario in season three gets to kind of do all of the cool stuff and dark-haired Dario gets to just you know reek all the reap all the rewards and it seems too easy in my opinion and since there's there's supposed to be the same character it's supposed to not really be a problem that she starts to you know have a relationship with him but he just kind of comes off whiny, in my opinion, and I just didn't think he was that cool. And I, um, I don't know. There's only one one really good scene, if I remember, with uh, the first Dario, Dario number one, and Mormont and Grey Worm, and they they go you know badass little battle in there, and so I, that's kind of more what I wanted, and I don't really think we got too much of that in season four. Um. Let me see. What is it? Does Tyrion Tyrion seriously gets locked up in season four after episode two? I think that that's kind of a, a problem with the season. Tyrion's such a good character to have out and about, and having him locked up from episodes three to ten is uh, is difficult, you know. So they allowed with having him locked up, 
they had Tyrion, you know, paired up with different characters at certain different certain points, which create amazing dialogue. Um, but uh, my favorite lines were when he was with Oberyn Martell, and uh, I think it's o- Oberyn Martell, and uh, basically he was talking about wanting to go see this monster that was Tyrion as a baby, and then he finds out once he gets there, oh, it's just a baby with a slight deformity. Um, I thought it was one of the more, you know, innocent scenes, the scenes that we can really feel for the character of Oberyn and Tyrion. Um, so I, those are the most heartfelt between those characters that make you want to root for Oberyn. And, uh, one thing is, um, that, that character is so great and he's, Portrayed by Pedro Pascal, I believe, in such amazing fashion. He just slips right into the Game of Thrones pantheon world, and he's uh, memorable as hell. So, RIP that guy. <laughs> um, I don't think I had talked enough about what is uh, Marjorie's um, grandmother's name. Oh, my Lanta. Princess, um, what in the hell? Olena Tyrell, sorry. Princess Olena Tyrell, played by uh, Diana Rigg, who uh, is actually, she was in some old Bond movies, if uh, if it's the same person I'm thinking of. Um, she, holy shit, she is like a pistol. You gotta watch out for her. She is constantly sparring with words no matter who is she, who she's with who she is with and she will take you down verbally and aggressively and um even if it's someone like uh, Varys there's a couple scenes with her and Varys and or maybe just one and it's it's one where she, you know he's you know they're, they're trading information about this that and the other and you know what's the best for the realm and what's the best for this and that and the other and it's one of the best scenes that, that you could have in a non-action scene related for Game of Thrones. And honestly, anything with Diana Rigg in it is um, is excellent. She just she goes in the room and commands. Um, she commands the attention of everyone in the room, and that's that's what I like about it. Um, what else do we have? The death of Joffrey. That was you know obviously a big one. The guy's a dick. He's a fucking asshole, and uh, Jack Gleason just plays him, you know, to a T. He's amazing. He's uh, I honestly don't have, uh, you know, too too many um, gripes about Jack Gleason. I wish the only thing is that he could, you know, be there longer. There's one scene in episode like two or three or maybe four, whenever Jamie comes back and he's upset that Cersei won't have sex with them or, you know, won't lay with them anywhere. And he takes Cersei and rapes her beside Joffrey's grave uh, grave area or in, in the septum or whatever it's called. Um, I'd completely forgot about that um, that scene. 
when I first watched it. I guess I just, you know, we, we watched it, forgot about it. And I had never realized that it happened. And I feel like it's kind of, I don't know, glanced over in some way. I'm not really sure why it is or what the purpose is, if, if that's, you know, part of Jamie's comeuppance, you know, oh, you did this, that, and the other. Don't forget about this. My thing is you can't do anything in this world without having something come back and bite me in the ass. So that's one thing you got to keep an eye on for uh, Jamie Lannister. So what else do we have for um, the end of uh, season four? I know we're kind of doing a scatterbrained uh, recap of this, but... Um, Jesus, I thought The Watchers on the Wall was beautifully shot. There's not much you can really talk about when it comes to the battles. Um, Sam and Gilly, they're they're together by the end of this. There's great dialogue between Sam and Master Eamon. Um, Maester Eamon. Uh, they, there's some some of my favorite scenes are with uh, Peter Vong as uh, Maester Eamon. And uh, Owen Tail as Alzer Thorn. Alzer Thorn is so... Hates John so much, he will just straight up tell him to his face. And there's something about that you kind of got to like the guy. <laughs> He's like, you know what? We're going to go through this thing that might kill us. And after this, we're still going to hate each other. <laughs> and, and oh, you know, it's something blunt about that is just kind of funny. Um, and Owen Teal doing this, like, bad, trying to do this badass speech while the wildlings are literally breaking through the gates. It's like, come on, man. If you, like, look outside, there's no time for fucking. Uh, speeches and whatnot, so you, you gotta get, you know, foot on the gas, man. So, um, there's a lot of hype scenes throughout season four, and it feels like there is mic drop after mic drop after mic drop. Um, the fact that we lose, uh, Jon Snow's, um, uh, Egret, we, we lost uh, Egret. Uh, I was just like, Rosie, sorry, Rose Leslie as Egret. Egret is an excellent character, especially for the counterpart of Jon Snow. In my opinion, the second season is not nearly as in, uh, as uh, interesting until I or whenever Egret comes into play or whenever Rose Leslie comes on the screen. I think that's when Jon Snow is at some of his best. Uh, not only, you know, Kit Harrington is at his best acting, but he looks like, you know, he does care for um, Rose Leslie. And they do have on-screen on chemistry. And seeing them having, you know, have, you know, are they're torn apart is, um, it's heartbreaking, you know. Even with the rewatch, it's it, it wasn't easy to uh, to watch again, but it was beautifully shot, excellently, expertly um, executed, and... Not many um, complaints, honestly. Let me see if there's anyone else. I guess we're kind of doing it more by character. Um, Christophe Havadieu, who plays Tormund, Giant Spain. He is quite an interesting season. He plays a pretty dark wildling that has some interesting past, but he kind of tries to, you know, put on this face, kind of a harder, you know, harder than he is, and. When it comes to the Thins that are the other wildlings from this other tribe, which 
I don't think I fully understood at first, but there's this, you know, the group of wildlings have little individual groups, groups of wildlings within those, um, with it within them. And so the thins were one of those other wildlings. And so it's like, oh shit, you gotta be careful about that. So, um, let's see what else we had here. Um, I think that is just about it for the majority of them. Um, Bran, Hodor, we lose Jojen at the end of this. That was obviously terrible. It was not what we wanted at all. Um, Jojen was one of the you know nicest characters, but he obviously was Captain Exposition, and when it comes to that, you're going to have to kill him at some point because he's just helping us too much. And um, I think... I think it's not too much of a spoiler to say that I, Bran is out of season five, so knowing that it's a little hang. Um, I'll talk more in spoilers about what I think about that, but overall, just about everything in season four is expertly executed. There's unpredictable mic drops left and right. It blows my mind um, to to rewatch it and see all the, you know, I, I say it all the time, the tiny little dominoes that end up making mass changes and, you know, in the landscape of game of Thrones. So let's see anything else we need to discuss. Um, we see the children of the forest, the red woman's evil as hell. Um, do we want to talk anything about more about the red woman and Stannis? I don't really think there was too much to talk about. I mean, she does have a lot of on-screen time, the Red Woman does, and uh, they they discuss the deaths of these kings, or of these individuals, due to the leeches that she threw in the fire that came off of Gendry, which could be up for debate. I believe she did say, you know, the, the people that, I think she did say Joffrey was one of them, and... Um, maybe Tywin. I, I don't remember the other ones that she had wished away or whatever, but I still think that those have to be noted because I th- want to say that almost all of the characters she, na- na- she named when she threw in the leeches in the fire are either dead or close to dead by the end of season four. Um, let's see anything else we need to know over here, over here, before we jump into the spoiler section. Let's jump all right, let's jump in the spoil section right now. So by now, you should have seen seasons five, six, and seven. So let me see anything that really... A lot of season four... All right, so anyone that has seen <laughs> has seen uh, you know past se- uh, episode 10 of season four through... Anything else, I'm going to spoil it. I don't think it was a smart move to kill Joffrey and uh, Tywin in the same season. Two massive deaths that fundamentally shift the timeline, or they, they shift the entire world of Westeros and... If I remember correctly, the majority of season five kind of comes down to a, a short halt, and that's because of this new religion that is that pops up out of nowhere, um, and 
the religion is not introduced at all at the end of season four. It's there's no room for. It. I mean, season four is so jam packed and it's so good, but with with that, where there's no room for this religion or any to set up new characters and being introduced in season five, and I thought that the previous seasons did better job did a better job with setting up these new individuals that they're about to meet. Um, Bran would have been a good scenario when he's talking about uh, meeting the the uh, three-eyed raven in the tree. Um, but they don't follow up with that at all in season five, and so they just completely stall out on some of the most mystical of uh, stuff. And from a timeline perspective, I'm pretty sure when we watched seasons four... Season four, the last episode came out in June 15th, 2014. We don't see Bran on television again for another two years in April 24th, 2016. So that 2015 um, year, we had season five of Game of Thrones, but the majority of it was not um revolving around some of the best characters in my opinion i think that they revolve around the high sparrow that that religion that that comes up um in king's landing and then we have um a lot of ramsey and sansa and bolton mess that's all in season five and then we have some of the the daenerys stuff and so it's kind of a combination of the stuff that we I wasn't the biggest fan of, and we get so much Ramsey torture that they, I guess they want to, they wanted to have a big bad to take out eventually, but they, you know, they, they couldn't for some reason at the end of five. So many scenes that we thought something was going to happen and at the end of season five, and I just don't think they pulled the trigger on it, and I don't know if it was because they didn't have the source material or not. I don't remember if it was season five or six that they started to run out of George R. R. Martin's books. So that also could have contributed to it. They might have just kind of been writing in a circle to, you know, wait till something, you know, would happen. Um, but with saying that, we'll do a, we'll do a recap on it to see if it, it is a better rewatch than I remember. Um, yeah, I rewatching it. I guess I, I I do have my eyes open a little bit more to like the Daenerys storyline. She is kind of going a tad mad with power, and I could see if you looked at her as a you know a bad guy, an antagonist, that she would be uh, a threat. But I don't know, like. Um, even watching through season seven, I can't tell you for sure she's going to be a bad guy because, or an antagonist, because that's just, um, it's too early to tell. And I think at the end of season six, she's with John at the end of that. So she's not, I don't think she'll be a bad guy, um, antagonist. So I believe we've covered the end of season four of Game of Thrones. I can't believe we did it. Uh, this is an um, this is a massive excursion to go on. Uh, there's so many good scenes to talk about. I mean, there's scenes I'm thinking about in season three right now. I wish I would have talked about like the 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 Jamie and Brienne scene when they're um, in the tub in the mud tub, and he's describing to her 
how it's, you know, it's, he does not want to be known as the Kingslayer and that nobody knows that he saved everyone's life because the king, you know, the mad king was going to burn everybody, you know, with the dragon fire or whatever the hell it was. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, amazing scenes like that, that I can't cover just strictly because there's so many good scenes. Um, but yeah, I, Anything else that I possibly missed, I'll add it in the show notes. Check that out for any additional information. More podcasts, check them out there. Be sure to rate, share, subscribe to the Lucky Dog Podcast. Email us at theluckydogpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Game of Thrones Season 4 Wrap Up. Take it easy.